Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado publisher of beaverblitz.com and join with me is our beaver blitz beat writer carter baines it has been a busy first of all carter welcome to december are you are you ready for christmas yeah it's my birthday month too so it's a it's always a busy month okay, december, especially december 29th so okay, that's right the end the end of the month is always chaotic because you got christmas birthday new year's and then this year too we've got bowl game before all of that so it's going to be a, it's going to be a busy next couple of weeks, but super exciting. Man, too bad we weren't, uh, Beavers didn't make a bowl game later. Can you imagine having your birthday celebration at the bowl game? That would have been pretty sweet. Yeah, but it would have been, it would have been even more chaotic too, because then you got to travel around like Christmas and New Year's and it gets even more expensive. And yeah, I don't know. I'm in, in many ways, I'm thankful that they're playing on December 18th, just because then we get, you know, then we get the holiday season to sit on the couch and watch some some good football, and we don't have to worry about working and traveling as much. Yeah, so let's talk about that. First bowl game in eight years for Oregon State, heading to L.A. Bowl. It was announced yesterday. Um, what was your initial reaction to that? Not a huge surprise. No, not a surprise at all. I, I think this is kind of what we had anticipated. Um, I know the Sun Bowl actually tweeted at both of us a couple of days ago saying that Oregon State was – still in the mix there and um, that didn't really add up but yeah it, it was it was kind of a foregone conclusion that the beavers would be going to the la bowl it was more just kind of waiting to see who they'd play because uh, obviously the mountain west champion is the tie-in there um, on the other side and that game was the day before the bowl selection so utah state comes up victorious beating san diego state a very very good san diego state team handily um, pretty, pretty impressive win by the Aggies. And I think, you know, that they'll do some things that, and we'll get into this later, but they'll do some things that Oregon state's going to, you know, have some challenges with, but I, I like this matchup so much better for Oregon state than if they had to play an 11 and one San Diego state team. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, and I, I know San Diego state had some COVID issues, so they, they were down some players for that, um, mountain West championship game, but, um, you know, it's funny cause it, it's, I don't think any Beaver fan wanted to go to the Sun Bowl, to be completely honest. But um, this one, LA Bowl, like you said, before Christmas, December 18th, short period of time to get ready. So, um, but, you know, this is my thought on it. I haven't even posted this in the lodge yet because I've been busy doing some other things with recruiting and, and signing day coming up next week as well. But I actually think this is the best game for Oregon State that they could have got in. Um, I mean, aside from the Rose Bowl or, I know from a fan perspective and a, and a writer perspective, the Alamo would have been awesome. And probably Vegas and, and Holiday would have been higher up on a, on a fan's um, and media perspective. But hear me out, Carter. From a recruiting standpoint um, and from a, from an, a pure just um, exposure standpoint, I think this one's huge. Because you are in inner city LA playing at SoFi Stadium. What a chance for a lot of these recruits that Oregon State has been not only the signees or the, well, they will be signees by then, but the guys 2024, 2023, 2025, get those guys there to, to see your game. It's before Christmas and uh, all eyeballs. I mean, it's an ABC 430 kick. 
prime time. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's prime time at one of the most, um, I mean, you know, one of the most high-end stadiums in the world right now at SoFi Stadium. This is a brand new facility. Um, hospitality is going to be off the charts there. I, I know, I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what the team's got in store um, later in the pod, but you know, it, it's going to be a good experience for the fans and the teams. I, I think this is a huge opportunity for Oregon State to go down there. And, um, you know, maybe they might not be playing an, an ACC team like a, like a Clemson or anything like that. But this is a chance for them to go win a game on national TV, primetime slot on a Saturday night at a huge stadium in a huge city with, you know, like like you mentioned with the recruiting um you know, the, the recruiting element there too, of, of being in LA. I think it's an absolutely massive opportunity and it's super exciting too um, for the fans to be able to go down there and, and witness this and be a part of the experience too. Cause um, it's, it's a brand new bowl. So we don't really know what to expect, but from what we have heard and we were both on the, the, uh, the press conference call yesterday, sounds like they're kind of pulling out all the stops here. So should be it should be a really exciting time. And uh, Beaver Blitz members and those who aren't, you'll, you'll want to be a member of Beaver Blitz because Carter, we're, we're going all out. Carter will be flying down early. So he'll be down there with the team the entire time. The team will fly out Tuesday, next Tuesday. The, what day is that? The 14th. Um, there will be a, a media availability that evening. We don't have all the specifics yet, but Carter will be there the whole week. Uh, team Machado comes in a little later in the week. Um, we're, we're talking about how we can maybe do a meet and greet with, with fans at some point, whether that be after the, I, I, I believe there's a Friday pep rally um, at SoFi. So um, maybe we try to get something hooked up for that, but lots of fun, fun stuff in store. We'll be there um, to, to bring you all the latest. Carter, what have we heard? The, so the, the team actually is not practicing this week. Coaches are on the road recruiting. So what, what do you know from the schedule standpoint? Yeah, so it, it's finals week right now at Oregon State. You got to remember these are student athletes. So their their number one priority right now is is focusing on finishing up the term, um, and and coaches are finishing up recruiting as well. Jonathan Smith is actually back in Corvallis now. Uh, he did a bunch of in home visits last week, but he returned back to Corvallis, and that's where he did the the virtual press conference from yesterday. He was in his office and. Um, so he's back, you know, players are all around. It's just a matter of finishing up the term and then they'll most likely start practices, um, you know, in the Thursday to Saturday range as they, uh, as they get ready to kind of ramp things up next week. But once they get there, you mentioned they'll, they'll arrive in LA on Tuesday. Sounds like both teams are going to get to go to the Jimmy Kimmel show. Jimmy Kimmel is the, uh, the name sponsor of this LA bowl. So he's providing some hospitality for the teams. They'll get to go be on the show. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if they're featuring the teams on the show, if they're just watching or if they're doing some behind the scenes stuff, but I know that that's in the works. Uh, they'll also go to universe, universal studios. Uh, and then a couple of days of practice in the, the greater LA area leading up to the game as well. So we, yeah, we are still hearing, you know, kind of learning about what our availability will be whether Carter will get to go to Universal Studios and, and follow these guys around. I don't know. That'd be pretty sweet. Or go to Jimmy Kimmel. But uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep you posted and uh, just know that Beaver Blitz will be there and we'll have uh, wall-to-wall coverage. So um, I'm excited for this. It's going to be fun. Um, gosh, I haven't been to a bowl game forever either. So 
um, this will be a, a fun one. Um, let's let's talk about the other news for the day, which you know what? Let's talk hoops first. Let's keep it with the beeves. Hoops lost another one. Let's let's talk about some basketball. Carter, what are your thoughts? So this was the elite eight last year, and now they can't seem they've won one game. What uh, what are you seeing out there from Wayne Tinkle's crew? Well, I was there at Gill Coliseum yesterday. We had the um, the virtual press conference for the LA Bowl at, at halftime of the basketball game. So I, I watched the first half and then went down to the media room at halftime, missed the first five or so minutes of the second half, and then finished up coverage of the basketball game. So it was a, it was a busy couple of hours there at Gill. But what I saw in the first half was a much different team than the one that started the year at one and seven. I saw flashes from the Beavers in that half that looked like the elite eight team a year ago. And I said, I said to myself, you know, if, if they continue to play at this level all year, they're going to start to figure some things out. And I think they could, you, you know, I, I think they can make something out of nothing as non-conference wraps up and they get into the, the meat of the schedule. But then in the second half, things just kind of things unraveled and it started to look more like the team that we've seen the last couple of weeks. And, um, Unfortunately, you know, the, the sample size is big enough now after nine games that it's, it's pretty safe to say that that second half against Arizona is pretty much just who the Beavers are at this point. I mean, there, there's no sugarcoating it. This team is not very good right now. I, I think that the pieces are there. You know, you can see like Deshaun Davis, Oregon State is so much better when he's on the court. Where Alatiche, we know how much of a... You know, we, we know how much of a physical presence he is there for the Beavers. And Jared Lucas, obviously, great shooter. He had, he had five threes yesterday. When everything's clicking, I, I still think this team has so much untapped potential. But the challenge is putting it together. And, um, you know, I think Wayne Tinkle's got his work cut out for him as, as the season progresses. Do you, do you think it's a talent issue or do you think it's just more of a chemistry issue at this point? 100% chemistry. I from from the moment that these players signed with Oregon State, I said talent is not the issue right now for Oregon State. Um, I, I think that, you know, reading between the lines from what Coach Tinkle was telling us in the, the early weeks of this season, it seemed like maybe there were some struggles kind of getting this team to gel a little bit. Because, I mean, think about it. You've got guys coming back from an Elite Eight team feeling like maybe they can just show up and, you know, perform at the level they did last year probably felt like their spots in the rotation were pretty secure because they've been here and have had success. And then you've got guys coming in who are, you know, pretty highly rated recruits, D1 transfers. These are guys who are playing at, at Marquette, Fairleigh Dickinson. I mean, tournament teams, you know, um, and, and they come in and they're expecting to play too. So you've got a lot of personalities to mix, to mix and match. You've got various levels of experience, various talent levels, I could see how that could be a bit of an issue to, to kind of get everything rolling. Um, and, and one thing that has kind of been a hallmark of Wayne Tinkle teams at Oregon state is that they start slow. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to that. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's not always easy to kind of get things um, on the same page out of the gate for, for Tinkle led teams. Do you think they're missing Thompson more than maybe we expected? I would say so. Yeah. I, you know, for as, as much as, as Oregon state fans wanted to see this team without Ethan Thompson, there's no question that they were better with him. 
Um, and, and while he might not have been your prototypical point guard and while he had his shortcomings, sure. I mean, he was an all conference player and, and he, he, was a great, I mean, he was a great yeah, he leader. Helped. Yeah. Um, and you know, he, he consistently performed. So I, I think, I think they're missing him in a big way, but again, like I said, with Deshaun Davis at point guard, um, I, I think the team's in pretty good hands. It's just a matter of getting guys around him to start playing at a higher level and, I think, like I said, I still think it could happen. Yeah. I just then, think that there's too much talent on this team for it not to happen. And then but we got the news, what, on Saturday that Andela, or was it, I guess, Thursday, um, mm -hmm. Andela's out for, what, eight weeks with a broken foot? Yeah, six to eight weeks, I think, or eight to 12, something. Yeah, something. I can't, remember. I can't remember what the exact timeline is yeah. off the top I thought, of my Yeah, head, eight but... to 12 sounds right to me. I think it was up to that, three months. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And that's a huge loss for this team because – with Roman Silva still not fully conditioned, you know, he's working his way back from an injury himself. You know, Chol Mariel is not eligible. So, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. your entire front court, essentially, that's not able to go. Ahmad Rand is going to get a lot more playing time out of it. And he's, you know, he's provided a spark for them. Glenn Taylor Jr. saw a bunch more playing time yesterday with Andela out. So those guys are going to have to carry the load until Silva's ready to go full speed. But even when Silva is good to go, I, I think, the lack of front court depth is going to hurt this team. And you saw it yesterday against Arizona. I mean, a guy like Christian Coloco comes in and you just can't stop him if, if yeah. Silva's not on the floor. So it's, it, it could be a rough couple of months with, uh, with the situation in the front court. So yeah, not all rosy there. Uh, soccer, we typically don't talk soccer, but they had an elite eight run themselves and uh, lost to Clemson. Uh, what was that Friday night? No, Saturday night, Saturday night, Saturday night, um, rough, rough go out. I'm not a huge, I don't understand soccer, so I don't want to talk too much. And we, this was totally off the cuff because I did not have this on our, on our list of what we were going to talk about, but I think it, it was pretty cool to watch. Like I said, for even all of those that don't really follow soccer for this team to go as far as they did rank number one in the country. Um, it's just a weird sport because Eric did play soccer. So he understands it. And he said, we're going to say, completely outplayed him, but it's such, I mean, Oregon State has the one zero lead for like the entire game and then last minute. But um, I know you were watching it, Carter. It was, it was a fun run. Let's talk a little signing day though. Um, and I know this is more my, my bailiwick. You handle the day-to-day -day stuff. I handle more recruiting, but have you had a chance to look at the, the recruiting list of the, the commits? Yeah. In fact, I'll pull it up right now since I know we're going to kind of dive into it, but it's, it's a really exciting group. I think there are guys at multiple positions that could come in and, and be contributors pretty early in their career. Um, I, I know you'll probably highlight a few of them in, in depth as we go on here, but uh, if, if they can hold on to Matthias uh, Malachi Donaldson, you know, with the whole USC situation, if they can hold on to him, he's going to be a guy who could come in pretty quickly at, at that edge position and, and make a difference. Melvin Jordan at linebacker is super exciting. Um, and then of course, Damian Martinez at running back. We've talked about him on the pod for the last couple of weeks. The numbers that he put up. 4,400 yards, Carter, is what he ended his career. 4,400. And that's playing like half a game, pretty much, because they were blown everybody. I agree. This class is really high on or heavy on offensive linemen. So um, they they did go pretty heavy there. I agree, though. I So the, the storylines are, so Wednesday the 15th is early signing period. Early, early sign, signing period begins. So for those of you who haven't kind of been touched, you know, keeping track, it used to be the first uh, Wednesday in February was 
the big signing day. It was one big signing day. And a few years back, they decided to have an early signing period, which is the third Wednesday in December, um, which, you know, kind of gives those guys that are locked in, ready to go, a chance to sign. Um, and it has really turned into the big signing day, um, which is, it's, it's Christmas, I guess. Christmas comes early for Beaver fans and, and college football fans. Um, this class is not going to be a huge class. Um, and I know I've been working on the scholarship, kind of our scholarship tracker to kind of see where the numbers lie. I, I forwarded that over to Carter because I know he keeps a track of that as well. I wanted to get his insight on that. It's not a huge class. They don't have a lot of room. In fact, right now, by my count, the Beavs are over, um, over the 85 limit. So um, it'll be kind of interesting. I know, I know the super the super COVID seniors and all of that, that will come into play some. So um, it's, a, it's an interesting list in it. And right now, honestly, we don't know a couple guys that they're going to be staying or going, you know, whether BJ Baylor uh, returns, whether uh, Jaden Grant returns, there's, there's a, a crew of them. Rajon uh, Wright. Rajon Wright, Brandon Kipper. There, there's a slew of guys that we're, we're still kind of waiting to hear. Avery Roberts from everything I have heard, Carter is not coming back. I don't know if you've heard that as well. Um, and and we should mention too, he uh, he will not play in the bowl game in, in case the listeners have not heard that. Jonathan Smith confirmed yesterday he will not play. He underwent minor surgery last week and uh, is is unavailable. I'm hoping that minor surgery is a knee scope um, because I, I believe he was supposed to have a knee scope done. I'm hoping it's not an ankle injury. Ankles take a lot longer to heal than a knee scope. But I think since Jonathan made a point to say minor, surgery I, i'm thinking it was just cleaning up the knee now let's i mean if we want to get super hypothetical here if it is an ankle surgery you know maybe that derails his draft prospects a little bit and maybe he comes back but i mean again that's that's super hypothetical <laughs> and i mean i hope for avery's sake that he is able to go pro and you know take advantage of of his super high draft stock now because I mean, there's not much else he could do at Oregon State, if we're being honest. He he already led the Pac-12 in tackles. He's one of the most productive defenders Oregon State's had in a, a super long time. I, I don't think there's much else he could do. So I, I fully expect him to, to leave. Yeah, yeah. So that that was the news, yeah, yesterday that Avery would not be playing in the bowl game. So I think we might have seen our last of Avery, Avery Roberts um, in an orange and black uniform, but hopefully not the last of him on the sideline. Which is just, sad because he's, he's yeah. one of my favorite players that I've covered in, in my four years here. He's, you know, just he, a, a great guy off the field and, you know, just so much fun to watch on the field. I, one of the most productive guys I think I've, I've seen in an Oregon state uniform, like I said, in, in, in a very long time at, at any position really. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we wish him well, hopefully he has a speedy recovery. Um, but yeah, I, I look at this list and right now there's 15 commits. Um, like you said, Carter, I'm really excited to see Damian Martinez. I, I think he's one of those guys that maybe is a little underrated. Um, right now he's rated by um, composite rate, rating 85-98, so right around an 86. That's a really mid-level three-star. I, I actually would have him higher. Um, but there's some guys that I'm excited. J uh, Jack Velling, a tight end out of Seattle Prep. Um, Beavers just got a flip. Um, that we should talk about a true cornerback. And this guy is a, I mean, not a, a DB. He's a true corner. Noble Thomas out of Orange City, Florida had been committed to um, Iowa State for quite some time, but visited Oregon State back in June. And uh, credit Coach Blue here because Coach Blue was able to sell him on Oregon State system and he felt it was a better fit. So he, um, the, the Iowa State coach was in home with him and uh, 
Coach Blue was in home with him and Coach Blue was able to flip him. So that was the other big news this weekend was Noble Thomas and good name. You know who I'm really excited about, and it's somebody that we haven't talked about in a while, and I think is kind of going under the radar on on Oregon State fans' right um, kind of outlook of this recruiting class is Quincy Wright, the defensive lineman. I mean, we know that this is Oregon State's number one position of need. Um, this guy comes to Oregon State from Duncanville, Texas. He was a a former teammate of Zariah Beast, and I believe they pro- I mean they probably played varsity together one year. One year, yeah. I, I, w- I would have to imagine. Um, so, so he comes to Corvallis, he's a three-star defensive lineman, an 87 rating uh, on the 24-7 composite. But as we know with these Texas guys, it's it's just there's there's such a large talent pool in Texas that some guys get overlooked a little bit. Um, and for you know, for Quincy Wright to be Oregon State's number three prospect so far, according to 24-7, um, I, I think he's going to be better than that rating suggests. And I think he's a guy, again, that could come in and contribute pretty early in his career because, like we said, defensive line, Oregon State needs as much help as it can, as it can get still. Um, and, and he's a guy who comes in from Texas with you know, a, a chance to play a ton. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about this forgotten guys because I want to bring up two names. Um, one is more recent, but a safety, Braylon Oliver, transfer from uh, Louisville, 6'2", 195 safety. Pretty excited about him. I, I think Beaver fans might forget about him, but the one I, I'm actually really excited about that I know has flown under the radar, he's been with the team. He's practiced all fall with them. He's and an he's Andrew been a scout team, scout team player of the week too. Yes, yes. Andrew Chatfield, former four-star, transferred to Oregon State from Florida. Um, I think this, I mean, I think like that transfer portal and what coach Smith has done as far as, yeah, bringing guys in, um, it's, it's pretty impressive. So those two guys may not get a huge ton of play on a signing day, just because, like I said, Chatfield's here. So, um, it's not like it's going to be any kind of big deal, but I, I really do think those guys are going to be big, but like I said, O-line and another one I'm, I think is underrated somewhat that I'm excited to see. I think it's going to take a year or two for him. But um, Clovis, California safety, Carlos Mack. Fun to watch. Um, I, I'm excited to interview him. I think he's going to be a fun interview. And, and then my dark horse project. I know is, where you're going with this. You know where I'm going with this? Takari mm-hmm. Hickel. Yep, yep. From a small school in Washington, Tanino, um, 6'4", 240 as a high school kid. Very raw, hasn't played a ton of football, but he's long, um, has just, yeah, strength get him in the weight room a little bit. And I see him being maybe in, in a couple years being that speed edge rusher that we've all been kind of waiting to see. What, do yeah, you have a dark you horse? Know, well, I, 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 I kind of a comment on Kari Hickel. So, I mean, this is like, we're going to go super far removed from the situation here, but like, so <laughs> at, at a basketball camp in, in high school, I played against Tanino. And one thing that I remember about them is, it's a super small school and, you know, they're, they're not going to blow you away with, with skill. But one thing I remember is just the, the athleticism that that team had. It's there's, there's this thing with small schools. It's, they always have just incredible athletes. And I think you get the right coach there to kind of guide these guys. They just have so much raw athleticism that, um, the, the ceiling is just so high. And I think Takari Hickel really fits that mold from what I've seen from him and what I've heard about him um, is that, you know, he's just, 
he's got this super strong base athleticism that if he kind of works on uh, his technique a little bit, and I think, you know, getting in with Oregon state's coaching staff will really help with that. Um, he's a guy that could really fly under the radar and, and take off once he gets a little bit more guidance. I, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's right on the money. And I, I love the projection there um, that Oregon state had. He was actually on campus this past weekend for his official visit along with a little bit um, quiet under the radar, but um, he actually did go public with it. Um, Jade Knott, four-star running back out of Norco, um, was also on campus. So I think that surprised Beaver fans a little bit um, that he was on campus. Um, what are your thoughts? I, you know, I'm looking at that scholarship tracker I sent you, and especially if B.J. Baylor leaves, they have room to, to add a, a second running back in this class. Yeah, the Beavers are going to have more room in a couple of months than they, than they do right now. Um, there's just going to be attrition. You, like, you, you know it's going to happen. And I think we talked about this a little bit on the pod last week is the fact that Oregon State is in a bowl game probably delays a little bit of that. Um, so I think you'll start to see some guys hit the transfer portal once the season's officially over. And that'll open up some spots for some transfers. And I mean, we've, we've seen Oregon State bring in transfers throughout the year. Um, so, you know, there's probably more coming too as, as more guys leave and as guys declare for the draft or transfer out of the program. So bolstering uh, a position as strong as running back, it, it certainly doesn't hurt if, if you can bring a guy in um, like that. You know, you'll, you'll take as much talent as you can get. Yeah, that's actually a good transition to the next topic I want to jump to. But before that, I do want to just let kind of our, our listeners know what to expect in the next um, week and a half leading up to signing day and after, um, because we're going to kind of go into full bowl, bowl, bowl mode here um, on Blitz. But I do want you guys to keep an eye out. We will bring back our um, super popular get to know features which uh, the players, you know, you ask them. Yeah. So I've been formatting these already. I've started Carter and two players. So we have the, the question, are you a cat person or a dog person? It's like unanimous has always been dog, dog. Everybody's a dog person. I have two cats now. Interesting. Very interesting. I don't know if you trust a cat person. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but, um, and I will say the very first person to respond to that questionnaire was none other than Damian Martinez, the running back, which usually gets speaks better and better, doesn't it? It, it does. I, I mean, I, I just, I always have my favorites and it always starts because they're the guys, something about the guys that will respond to interview requests or to questions or return phone calls to the media as high school kids. I'm going to swear, but it just, it, it highlights the point is they have their shit together. And they, they're, it is able, and it has been proven true now. I mean, I've done this 15 years. So these guys that have been able to figure out to get their, you know, to do their interview request and to practice and to get everything done, seriously, they turn out to be the best interviews um, all across the board, sometimes the best players. Anyway, so people ask that sometimes, who's the first? And you know what? The funny thing was, I, we're also going to be running Coach Speak. So I've reached out to all their high school coaches to kind of get some background more on more on character, I guess, for, for that um, first coach to respond was, was Louisville. So Damian Martinez's coach. So hats off to those Texas guys. And they always call me miss Angie or ma'am, which is kind of strange, but very polite. 
Um, but moving forward, so talk about transfer portal. Let's talk. The news of the morning is that Oregon, and this we're, we're not an Oregon podcast, but it's big news for the Pac-12, is that Mario Cristobal has left for Miami, which can we just say how horrible Manny Diaz was treated at Miami? Carter, you and I talked about that this morning. Yeah, it, um, it takes a certain kind of person in a certain kind of situation to take a job at a school that just treated its former head coach that way. And I think, you know, Mar- Mario Crystal was being a Miami guy, you know, being from Miami, going to school, they're playing. But Manny there. Diaz was too. Didn't he play at Miami? I, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but what I'm saying is that, yeah. you know, Cristobal, like he's just so committed to that school that like, I, I think they could treat Manny Diaz however they wanted. And he would have gone if, if the offer was there just because of the connection he has. But <laughs> I, I think it diminishes the job a little bit for if, if Cristobal hadn't taken the job, I mean, who else would want to go work for an employer that treated Manny Diaz that way? Yeah, this guy. This guy was out recruiting for Miami yesterday, and and they just basically had him in limbo, uh, basically just kind of leveraging his position, waiting for for Cristobal to sign. I mean, I don't, hats hats off to to Miami for landing Mario Cristobal, but the way they handled that situation is really poor. I will say though, from an outsider's perspective, not covering Miami or Oregon. What a just incredible last few days of entertainment following this situation. <laughs> you know, reports, false reports, true reports, people breaking news that hadn't even happened yet. I mean, it's everything that's right and wrong about college football and, and the media landscape. We, we saw every single bit of that over the last yep. probably three or four days. Okay, so I, I just want to jump in. I did check it out. Manny Diaz was born in Miami, but he played at Florida State. So he was not a Miami, but still it was horrible. And I know they've been trying to find a, an AD and everything else, but horrible. Let's talk though about this because it's been a wild, wild ride in the Pac-12. We, we have Lincoln Riley brought in now as USC's head coach. Um, DeBoer at Washington. So Fresno State's coach makes the trip up there. Now Oregon's looking. Do you feel that this is kind of a, I saw, I think it was John Wilner say this is a, very pivotal point maybe in the in the whole Pac-12 landscape do you feel that that shift it, it could totally be a turning point I think you and I were talking about this earlier and and I said if you look at kind of the trajectory of Oregon's program and USC's program Oregon's rise has coincided almost perfectly with USC's downfall and a lot of that is the fact that USC hasn't been able to keep talent in state and Oregon has been one of the many programs that has benefited the most from that, going down there and, and getting Kayvon Thibodeau to come from Southern California up to Oregon, you know, just a handful of players in that mold too. Um, that's, you're not going to see as much of that with Lincoln Riley down there. He's an elite recruiter, an elite coach. Um, and he's one of the very few coaches out there right now that I think was the perfect kind of the perfect candidate for USC, the kind of guy that could come in and turn things around as quickly as next year yeah. um, with with what you're going to see USC doing in the transfer portal, on the recruiting trail, and eventually on the field over the next nine to 12 months. I think it's going to be night and day from what we've seen from USC over the last five to 10 years. Um, and with that comes 
kind of a, a competitive shakeup in, in the Pac-12 because Oregon, like I said, will probably, Oregon's going to struggle as a result. Oregon's still, I mean, what they've built there, they're, they're not going to fall too far, but I, I think it opens things up in the North a little bit to where Washington with a new head coach might be able to sneak back up to the top. Oregon State, a program on the rise, could start to compete for conference championships. Um, and in the South, I think you've got a really interesting battle between Utah and, and USC right now, because Utah, we know how much success they've had recently. Kyle Whittingham is still, in my opinion, even with Lincoln Riley in the Pac-12 now, I think he's the most established and, and probably still arguably the best coach overall in the conference. Um, it's going to be a really interesting next few years in the Pac-12 as the college football landscape as a whole starts to change. Be interesting to see if the Pac-12 can kind of make up some ground as, as USC hopefully returns to prominence. Yeah, I, I, I love that hire too, the Lincoln Riley, because it does, it has that feeling. Um, you just have this feeling that Lincoln Riley is going to return USC to its to its prime, its heyday. And you're right. And I, he, it, he already has recruiting yeah, wise. I yeah, mean, look at wise. look at the guys who have committed in his first week on the job. I mean, five-star Moore doesn't scare me as a Beaver fan. Does he scare you? I think he's a good fit for Washington. Um, but I think Washington is, it, it's much different than USC in that it will take a lot more hard work for um, for DeBoer to turn around what what Jimmy Lake kind of, you know, the, the, the position that he put that program in. It's, it's going to take more time uh, to rebuild that situation. But I, I think he's a good coach and I think it's a good fit for Washington. So, so I, let's I think talk, the future's right there too. Let's talk a little then about Oregon State and where they fit. So um, do you think some of these coaching hires hurt Oregon State with Jonathan Smith or do you, um, you know, kind of like Oregon State's position? I like Oregon State's position because, like I said, I mean, Oregon State's never in the running for these four and five, four and five star guys, and you know they're they're starting to, you know, kind of climb the ranks a little bit. But let's be honest, Oregon State's never competing with USC on the recruiting trail. Um, yeah, there might be one or two guys every cycle, but not to the extent that Oregon and Washington are. And so when USC is as good as it is on the field and on the recruiting trail, that hurts the teams that Oregon State is competing against more than it hurts Oregon State itself. And I think that allows Oregon State to, you know, maybe maybe jump a couple of teams in the north. And with the season that the Beavers are coming off of right now, there's so much momentum in Corvallis that, you know, I think Oregon State's still on the rise while Oregon might be heading for somewhat of a, of a downfall, you know, it might not be drastic, but I think the opportunity is there for Oregon state to, to make some plays in the North. And then, you know, I mean, the South is what it is. It, it's going to be tough to compete with USC, but I, I, I think overall it helps Oregon state more than it hurts. And, you know, you, you talked, you mentioned uh, Kyle Whittingham in Utah, watching that Pac-12 title game on Friday night. I, I was left to think, I mean, Utah, hey, Oregon State is the only Pac-12 team to beat Utah this season. Mm -hmm. um, but watching them play, watching Whittingham, I'm left thinking they remind me a lot of Oregon State. I mean, they, they recruit that three-star kid that maybe isn't getting the attention some of the other schools are, but they coach him up. And the, the X's and O's are good to great. Um, and Whittingham is, is a little like Jonathan Smith. I, I think their demeanors are different, but I like um, it's very workmanlike. It's not flash. And I, I see um, Oregon State kind of in that mold that Utah, or maybe aspiring to be kind of that blue collar, 
we're going to beat you. And, and quite frankly, as a Beaver fan, I think the loss of Mario Cristobal is, is bad for Oregon State in that he was a good recruiter, but I don't think he was a good X's and O's coach. And I, I don't know if the relationships he built were the most solid with his coaching staff. We saw coaching turnover. Um, I mean, so from that, from that standpoint, I think as a Beaver fan, it should scare you a little bit to see what Oregon will be able to hire. Now I've seen John Canzano and other and Duck fans clamoring for Chip Kelly, which I'm like, um, heck yeah. I mean, what I'm more worried about is them going after a um, Luke Fickle or a Matt Rule or um, Dave Aranda. Because yeah, I think those guys. The worst, the worst case scenario for Oregon State is that Oregon brings in an elite X's and O's guy right now um, because Cristobal is not going to leave a bear covered in Eugene. No. We, I mean, one guy, a four-star quarterback, has already decommitted today in the hours following Cristobal's uh, departure. But, I mean, we know how much talent Cristobal has built there over the last three or so years. And so um, if, if you bring in a guy who can coach at an elite level on the field, he's going to take advantage of the talent pool that's already there. And Oregon could have a few couple of really good years in its future. I, I think, again, the Lincoln-Riley thing is going to hurt them long term. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the short term, the right hire could lead to some pretty instant success, I think. I, I had to laugh because I did go on our 24-7 Sports Sisters site, Duck Territory, last night before all this broke. And it was actually kind of comedy because some of their fans started talking about, well, maybe we should go after Jonathan Smith. Because then you're like hurting two teams because he's a great coach and we take him from what they call little brother. Which made me laugh because I don't see any any universe where Jonathan Smith would even entertain a discussion with Oregon. And it was funny because my older son goes, well, if they're going to pay him eight to $10 million a year, maybe. And my younger son was the one who's like, uh, Jonathan doesn't seem like that would even sway him. He's making 4 million in Corvallis. He's totally fine with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like a crystal ball to Miami situation. I have yeah, to think yeah. that this is, this is almost a dream job for Jonathan Smith. You know, obviously, obviously I think there are situations where Jonathan Smith would move on if, if the situation and the opportunity arose, but right now, I think this is about as good as it gets for Jonathan Smith. Yeah. Anyway, it was just, it's, if you want a little comedy and sometimes it's, it's fun to look. Um, and if you're a member of Beaver Blitz, you do get to go read other message boards and sometimes just for fun, it's, it's kind of fun to do that. Okay. So stick with us because next week we're actually going to get into a, a X's and O's talk about Utah state. We're going to break that down. We'll go into a little more depth about the signees um, and if we expect any surprises. We're still a little early, but seriously, by next Sunday, I think we will be um, there. There are a couple guys I'm watching. Ott is one of them. Um, Keith Olson, an offensive lineman commit to USC, is another one I'm kind of watching to see what he does because Oregon State is kind of, I think, still in the periphery there. So we'll, we'll have more on that. But I think it's going to be time. We haven't done damn questions in a while. So I posed this in the lodge at Beaver Blitz. You ready to do some damn questions? Yeah, I, I looked through these before we hopped on, and I think there's um, a, a really good variety in these, and there's some good questions that definitely need to be answered. Yes, there's there's some good ones. So these are Beaver Blitzers. Um, I'm just going to run down the list here. We Oh, so, and, and Matt Tiafoni asked about if Bray becomes the DC, would Mike Docter possibly coach linebackers? I guess it's important to talk about, we don't do not have any update on DC yet. Um, I, I, I know Jonathan is working on it. It's not like he's for, forgotten about it. 
Um, but I'm anxious. I, I do believe he'll probably let Coach Bray coach this this bowl game and kind of see one more one more outing on that. I don't this know. Is, if I... This is it's it's a great question. It's the first one I saw when I opened up yeah. the the thread, and I think it it raises a good point where Mike Doctor is currently on the recruiting staff, and what Oregon State if if Trent if Trent Bray becomes the defensive coordinator, Oregon State doesn't have to worry as much about the recruiting element of who comes in as linebackers coach. But if Oregon State goes out of like if they go out of home and, and they bring in uh, more of an X's and O's defensive coordinator, they need a, an elite recruiter on that side of the ball. And I think that's where promoting doctor to linebackers coach makes a ton of sense because he has proven that he's, you know, I mean, he's a good enough recruiter to be on the recruiting staff and we know what he did as a player. So he knows the X's and O's and I think he's got what it takes to be a coach. Um, that situation, I, I think it would make a lot of sense to bring him in as, as linebackers coach, but if Bray gets the DC job, I think it makes a little less sense. Um, but like I said, if, if they go out of the house, Mike doctor to, to linebackers coach would be something that I would keep an eye on. It's going to be interesting. I mean, we, we talk about other schools having dominoes, to, you know, dominoes that are falling, but Oregon state has its own to see what, and then new DC and Trent Bray too. What kind of changes potentially would that new DC bring in? Would they change up some of the staff? Would they? So it's all stuff we're watching as well. Just there's just nothing to report on. And Mike Doctor. So I know I've said this before, and I talked about my favorites earlier in the in the podcast. Mike Doctor, one of my seriously out of two, I have two all time favorites. Mike Doctor's one of them that I've covered since high school, and you know the other one too. I think James Rogers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Although Jaquiz is becoming my favorite because he always responds to me when I ask him for like score picks and Jaquiz is like on it. Anyway, I love my job. I get to know a lot of these guys and they're great guys. Um, okay. Um, Rio Alcy wants to know if the Addison gums restriction was for regular season only. We get the Addison gums question again. <laughs> Opening Addison up the, the can of worms once again. Okay. You guys. No, I don't. This is not a field issue. This is not an Oregon state being mean issue. This is off field from what I've been told. And I don't even have a ton of knowledge. So they've kept this very quiet. Carter, I don't know if you have anything to add. Um, I don't think you and I talk about this probably weekly. Yeah, I have nothing new to add on this as of about two months ago. Um, yeah. You know, from what I've seen, Addison Gums is still with the team. He's in uniform on game day. Um you know, not in full uniform, but he's, he's out there with his Jersey on and, you know, sweatpants and everything. He's with the team. Um, from what I can tell, he's either practicing with them or working out with them. It's just a matter of, you know, some sort of eligibility or suspension. We, we don't know exactly. Um, he's, he's on the roster and seems to be on the roster for the foreseeable future. But that's about all we can, we can offer. So, um, jump drive, love you, jump drive. Can we win this bowl game by 14 or do we lose by 14? I don't think Oregon state will not lose by 14 to Utah state. Um, they, they are currently, I believe seven point favorites over the Aggies. And, you know, with that comes the possibility of winning by a couple of touchdowns that I think that the talent differential is there, but Utah state's a pretty good mountain West team. Mm -hmm. So it, I, I could see it being a little closer than Oregon State fans might think, but um, 
a 14 point Oregon State win would not surprise me in the slightest. This was a Mount or a, a Utah State team too that beat Washington State week one. I mean, you got to remember they, they they won the Mountain West Championship. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, this it's is a very a, good group of five team. Um, um, but I, yeah. I, I do think that you know, or, Oregon State could win this game by a couple of scores. So, Jump Drive also asked if Coach Smith makes any other coaching changes other than or after the bowl game. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know about your thoughts, Carter. I don't think so. I think the, we could see some more coaching changes, I guess, with, depending on who the new DC is and what they want to do on the defensive side of the ball. But I don't see any offensive changes. No. And in fact, with, with all of the assistance contracts expiring, except for, I believe, Blue Adams is the Blue. only one. Um, I don't think you'll see many changes. I think you'll just see a ton of extensions. Yeah. Um, and and this, raises. This new, yeah, because this new extension uh, this new contract for Jonathan Smith includes an increased assistant salary pool. And so I think what you'll see is, is Jonathan Smith's going to make use of that and give his assistants some contract extensions and some raises and, and everything. And I mean, we've talked so much on, on this pod over the course of the season about coaches that they need to retain. Yeah. Um, I, I think coaches like Jim Mahalachek, Trent Bray, if they decide to keep him, uh, Brian Lindgren, all of these guys are are going to get pretty substantial raises yeah. and, you know, hopefully multi, multiple year contracts, you know, upwards yeah. of the four to, four to five year range, I, I think would be in the realm of possibility. Um, RDU Beeve says, so Oregon State right now is at 17 of 25 scholarships for this class. How many of the remaining eight will be taken up by high school players? Um, as we kind of talked about earlier in the pod, um, that's a little misleading because right now they don't have 25 to give. So they are about maxed out right now um, based on numbers that by my calculation. And like I said, Carter's going to take a look at it. I will post it in the lodge because I know some of you guys follow this super close. And, and we do have some questions about a couple guys, whether they have earned a scholarship. I know Cody Anderson, for example, is on a year to year kind of deal. Um, but there's a couple question marks there. But right now they are about full. Um, there's just not a lot of room depending on then who leaves um, and who decides to maybe not come back from for a senior year. Um, Beaver Hart, what makes the Utah State passing attack so effective and how do we defend it? I'm not going to lie to you. I know very little about Utah State right now. Um, that's what this next upcoming week is for. I'm, I'm going to do a deep dive into that program over the next probably 10 days or so as we get ready for the game. So next week's pod, definitely come back with this question because um, I, I'm not gonna be an expert on the Aggies this time next week, but I will know a substantial amount about them. Uh, so I'll be more equipped to answer that. So, next and, and you know, to be fair, Carter, the Oregon State is just starting their deep dive too. So when we spoke to Coach Smith yesterday and, and Coach Blake Anderson kind of said the same thing about Oregon State. So the coaches right now, this early part of the week is all recruiting. They're focused on recruiting. Uh, getting that class kind of finalized. Coach Smith will have staff. So the, the players are in finals right now at Oregon State. We'll give you kind of a, a brief rundown of what Oregon State's doing. Players will be working with the strength and conditioning staff this week, um, doing kind of their normal treatments, uh, workouts in between finals, because this is finals for them. While some of the uh, staff that stays home and is not on the road is breaking down Utah State film. And they'll be kind of doing all those cut-ups, getting kind of game plan stuff started. Coach Smith will return probably Thursday, I believe, is when I when I heard Thursday he'd be back in the office. Coaches then will start 
kind of formulating the game plan Thursday, Friday, and then players will be hitting the field again Friday, Saturday. So, um, and I did receive a text from the SID that that's still kind of being firmed up right now as far as when the players return for practice, what the availability looks like. But right now, my guess is that they'll start kind of doing some workouts Friday, Saturday-ish um, after finals. Oregon State will then have their game plan. So um, that's that's the kind of the rundown there. Um, here for the Beavers says, do you think that we can gain anything from U of O's loss of Cristobal in terms of players, recruits, or staff? On the defensive side, I mean, you know, maybe there's a guy there that you want to bring in as, as DC or, or linebackers coach. It'll just be interesting to see who goes with Cristobal, who becomes available. Would you take I mean, Joe Salavea? I would, yeah. I mean, from a recruiting perspective alone, I mean, I think the doors that that opens, um, you know, that could be huge for Oregon State. Black Bandit says, I'm interested in the recruiting rules again, regarding having prospects from LA area on the sidelines for LA bowl game. Do you see us utilizing these practices, prep, locker room, sidelines? is a great way to show prospects how we roll. I, that's, I mean, I, I think I addressed that earlier. I, I, that's why I think this, this bowl game is so important um, for Oregon State from a recruiting standpoint is yeah, getting these, you know, these guys can come to practice. They can, you know, come stop by practice, watch them practice. They can stop by, um, you know, they'll, they'll be able to be down there. Um, I don't, I don't know the rules about having recruits attend the game or paying their way, but um, I'll have to look into that. I'll have an answer for you next, next week on that. But um, I mean, the tickets are $32 for the cheapest ticket. So um, these recruits could ask Christmas gift to have a, have a have a bowl or a bowl game ticket, but I will check on that for next week. Um, JRU says, "How surprised are you that we have hit the end of the season and no one has hit the portal?" I kind of touched on this earlier. I, I I again think that people will hit the transfer portal after the bowl game. Um, it's just that nobody on this roster has been to a bowl game at Oregon State, so I think there is incentive to stick around a little bit and you know take the trip to LA and everything and. Um, just kind of wait it out and then hit the portal once once the season's over. I, I, there's going to be attrition, you know, at, at every program, uh, regardless of of how the season goes. And while Oregon State found a lot more success this year and they got a lot of guys on the field, guys are going to leave. That's just how it works. Yeah. Um, Beaver PT says, given your knowledge on recruiting, how big of an impact does Cristobal leaving have on the Ducks? I I you don't handle this one. Well. I think it will have an immediate impact, but I think what Oregon needs to do, I mean, obviously this has been something on the radar for at least a five days, if not a week. Um, so the Ducks AD had better been reaching out to people. So I, the, the quicker they move on this, the better to try to salvage that. Um, hiring a head coach as soon as possible would probably be in their best interest. But, um, you know, I think where Oregon's at as a national program, I don't think it's going to affect them too much. And I will say too, I mean, one way that it can affect them is Cristobal left nine days before signing day. Yeah. Uh, so anybody that's decommitting from Oregon because of Cristobal's departure, you don't really have time to make that up before the early signing period. And obviously there's still the, the normal signing day uh, later on in the winter. But as far as, you know, most guys are signing 
yeah, yeah. Uh, on December 15th. And so, you know, that's, that hurts if, if, if you lose some guys between now and then. And if you're, and if you're signing, are you signing with Oregon just because it's Oregon or are you going to wait and see who they hire? I mean, that's, I, you know, I think if I'm a top level recruit, I might want to wait and see and, and maybe push out or commit elsewhere because I want to know who my head coach is going to be. I don't want to just, you know, blindly. Um, this is a good one. Druzy 10 football more yards for Calvin Tyler or BJ Baylor. It's a good question. It's a really good question because Calvin Tyler has done some really, really good things for Utah state this year. It's been kind of fun to watch him because um, he, he was a guy at Oregon state that, you know, I was always super high on. I think the coaches were always super high on him too. It's just that he had a ton of talent ahead of him on the depth uh -huh. chart. Um, and, you know, he, he suffered that injury early in his career that kind of derailed his, his trajectory. But now that he's landed at a, at a place that um, is, is allowing him to kind of be the featured back, it's been really fun to see what he's, uh, what he's done. But I think Baylor just, you know, matching up Oregon State against Utah State, I, I think Oregon State can dominate in, in the running game. Um, and BJ Baylor obviously is Oregon State's featured back. And I think um, you'll see from him what we kind of saw when he was at his best this year. I, I think he's got the potential to go over 100 yards. And um, while Tyler could have a big game as well, I, I think Baylor will probably get him. Yeah, I'm going to go with Baylor as well. Just I'm going on the, the, fear, the pure uh, O line. I think yeah, uh, that's, that's exactly, yeah, that's where I was going with the, the matchup <laughs> factor there. <laughs> Great questions, you guys, and thank you. We appreciate all of you guys in the lodge. Um, and uh, I, I do want to just make a, a quick comment. I, I know those of you in the lodge and on Twitter have seen that I posted um, a meal train for the family of Evanson Bernard, former Beaver great, worked at Oregon State. His mother-in-law suffered um, an aneurysm and is in ICU. And can I just tell you how heartwarming Beaver fans are? I mean, how much it warms my heart to see um, Here's a guy who now is basically a stay-at-home dad trying to take care of his two kids because his wife was at the hospital nonstop with, with mom. And um, this meal train started in Florida, um, but you could donate money or donate gift cards to help kind of take care of them and, and get their food delivered for them. Beaver fans have stepped up big time. And uh, I know Ev reached out just to say thank you. He said he's kind of overwhelmed right now and it's, it's been a hard, hard go, but, um, and it's going to be a long road that they deal with. But how heartwarming you know, big or small, or even thoughts and prayers, um, how amazing it is for to see Beaver fans rally around one of their own. So I just have to say thank you, because that really does, um, especially this time of year, it warms my orange and black heart to see that. So thank you, Carter. Um, we have a busy uh, week ahead, so um, I should let you go. You have some writing to do for the uh, the bowl game prep. I have some signing day prep to do, but we'll be back next week for another episode of the damn podcast.